Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang, and welcome for another action-packed edition of Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble, the little show that could right here at What the Fuck O'Clock. We are so glad to be with you. Hello to everybody on the West Coast driving home. Hello to everybody on the East Coast taking it easy. Hello to everyone listening live. Our evil army of the night, you guys are welcome to call up about anything in the politics, in the culture, in your life. 866-997-4748 is the number to call to join us. We're going to be talking about the House. We're going to be talking about Kanye West. We're going to be talking about Joe Biden. Get to everything. Uh, also, talking about the best movies of the year, too, because we have the Golden Globes this week. If you are listening on demand or on the Sirius XM app or on the John Fugelsang podcast. Hi. Thank you, guys. We love our day walkers. You guys are always welcome to stay up late some night and call in live and be part of it or write to us at our show's Facebook page. We love to hear from you. We read your fun letters live on the air, too. We'll also be joined by comedian Jenny Saldana, who's uh, one of my favorites here in New York. And uh, she's <laughs> does material about breast cancer that has no right to be funny, but she's a survivor. And I'm always happy to welcome her back to our show. We're also going to welcome uh, the director of a brand new movie called Only in Theaters. That's the name of it. Uh, it's by Raphael Sabarge, and it's a documentary about the Lemley family in Los Angeles, the family that founded Universal Studios, and then the nephews founded these movie theaters. And it's sort of a film about the struggle for theaters, especially independent family-owned chains, to stay alive in the era of streaming. And then COVID strikes. And it starts off being a film about Hollywood and the magic of seeing films in theaters. And it winds up being a rather gritty documentary about the struggle to actually achieve the American dream and how hard it can be 
to stay true to something when the industry tells you it's going another way. It's it's a real movie about working people, and it caught me by surprise. I'm very happy to have Mr. Sabarjan as well. And all evening long, our most important guest is you guys. One week, I'm going to be performing at the uh, Phillipstown Depot Theater in Garrison, New York. I've never been to the Phillipstown Depot Theater, but they, they were on my case for a while, and I'm very, very happy. I love the people there. And so that's going to be a show called Fair and Biased. I think it's going to be a lot of religious material. I think, I think it's going to be this year's set which is tearing a new one for Christian nationalists and uh, revoltingly fake fundamentalists. So please, please, if you're in the Hudson Valley area, come on down. It will be funny. I promise. Chris Hauselt is running this thing from South Carolina. We're very, very happy and grateful that Owen has sat in for Thea all week long. And um, as always, we look forward to hearing from you guys. There's a lot, and I mean a lot to get to. So let's see if we can just go for a couple of minutes now. Let's do a show. See if we go a couple of minutes before um, mentioning Joe Biden's documents, okay? Because D.C., well, let's just say (laughs) D.C. and New York made sure it was a very bad day for Donald Trump. But you might not know that from watching the news, which is all Biden's just as bad as Trump all the time, I guess. But, you know, this week they've been having this case in D.C. about E. Jean Carroll and her second defamation case against Donald Trump when he more or less said she was too ugly to rape for the second time. And um, they've been struggling in court with deciding whether he was acting in his capacity as president when he insulted her and defamed her looks when she accused him of rape a couple of years ago. And they were making these arguments all week. And it's all very technical legal issues related to when under District of Columbia law, a person should be interpreted as acting as an employee of an organization. In this case, the president working for the federal government rather than a private individual. Right. Well, while this has been going on, Trump's been paying the lawyers a lot to make this case go away. Now, turns out, he's lost. Again. One of Donald Trump's losses today was his motion to dismiss E. Jean Carroll's newest defamation lawsuit. The court has rejected Trump's argument that New York's new Adult Survivors Act denied him due process. Oof. Man, this is her second case, because Trump doubled down on his comments about her appearance last October. So, today, the judge unsealed a transcript of Donald Trump's deposition in the defamation lawsuit he's facing from E. Jean, who, full disclosure, has done this show, and I've known her many years. Uh, it shows him getting pretty tripped up on the, well, right away, on the very first question. Now, again, Trump's desperate effort to get this lawsuit tossed out went down in flames. Judge, U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan actually accused Trump's legal team of making absurd arguments to invalidate the New York Adult Survivors Act. And the transcript shows that an attorney representing Eugene Carroll was asking Donald Trump about the social media post he made, where he was ragging on Eugene Carroll and said she was getting paid by a radical left-leaning publisher to say bad and untrue things. And the attorney asked Trump if he could specify, who's that publisher you're talking about? And Trump just said, no, I just heard it was a publisher that did some very bad books on us. I should really have Chris reading Trump for this. He does a much better impression. But it's very, very funny. He, 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 Trump, the, the, the attorney says, do you know who her publisher was? This radical left-leaning publisher that says bad and untrue things? No, I just heard it was a publisher. It's a very bad books on us. I'll represent to you her publisher was HarperCollins. Trump advised, yeah, and they haven't been great. The attorney says, do you know who published your son-in-law Jared Kushner's book? <laughs> he says, could be, but they published some very bad ones too. He says they're all liars. And then he finds out they published his son-in-law. By the way, that's not only why it's funny. It's not just that HarperCollins published Jared Kushner. It's that HarperCollins is owned 
by Rupert Murdoch. So that case is going to go on. And he looked stupid because the judge released the testimony. But that wasn't the worst part of his day, I don't think, because he also had the Trump organization find $1.6 million. That's the maximum they could find them for running a decade-long tax fraud scheme. It's a very symbolic moment when you think about it, because this is, this is the only judgment for any kind of criminal conviction that's come close to this guy. $1.6 million. It's not a much. It's the most they could find him. You know, the Trump Corp and the Trump Payroll Corp were, before Christmas, you'll recall, convicted of 17 felonies, including falsifying business records and tax fraud. But under New York law, the most these companies can be fined is about $1.6 million which Trump's organization can easily afford. And by the way, you woke snowflakes. Don't let me don't go confusing the 1.6 million fine for tax fraud for the Trump organization with a 2 million fine for charity fraud for the Trump Foundation. And you America haters, don't confuse that with the 26 million fine for education fraud for Trump University. Guys, when you see someone still defending this guy, don't let it upset you. Just laugh and just say to him, you know what you really should do? Send Trump a check. It'll own the libs. It really will. One of the prosecutors said Trump explicitly sanctioned tax fraud. One of the jurors told CNN they saw a whole culture of fraud at the Trump organization. And this is, of course, a week after Ella Weisselberg goes to jail. He pled guilty to 15 felonies related to the tax fraud scheme, and he agreed he would testify truthfully against the company at a trial, but he was still on Trump's payroll. So with all that, with all that going on, thank God CNN has some drama about Joe Biden and the documents, because I'm still hearing a lot of false equivalency, a lot, and I'm not hearing much about uh, the actual deeds that Donald Trump's done. And again, this is a sign of who's owning CNN now. I'm not hearing a lot of facts. Here's on CNN, Poppy Harlow and Don Lemon, who are both very nice. I've I've worked with them both. Mixing it up with Senator Chuck Schumer over the docudrama. You said the president has fully cooperated and there's no indication that he and the White House have not. But there is a real question about transparency and what the American people Deserve. Let me just let me the let me, prosecutors let me will just, get to the bottom of this and let's let them do it for I, God's sake. I, I, I know you, you all want to buzz around you. and all of that, but let me let me buzz for a minute. Let me buzz for one minute and I promise we'll get on. But it's not just hold on. It's not just us buzzing around. You're the Democratic head of the Senate. This is a really important issue. It's not just buzzing around. No, but we have. And if there were no special prosecutor, there would be, you know, you might have a different thing to say. But there is. And now we have the law enforcement people who have the power to get all the facts out doing it. I support both. I think we should have a special prosecutor on each. I don't mind your asking these questions, but my view is I'm not going to say anything. Let the special prosecutors do their job. Damn, man. CNN's getting me to go giving fist pumps to Chuck Schumer. Absolutely. Look, here's the tricky thing, folks. It, It goes like this. Democrats aren't a cult. Democrats, generally speaking, I mean, I'm not I'm not a Democrat, but I I vote that way. They're not a cult. They're not going to be blindly obedient behind Joe Biden the way some people are blindly obedient behind the guy who was fired from Celebrity Apprentice because he was so damn racist. The average opinion of most Democrats is, oh, okay, well, yeah, this sounds like bullshit. But if Joe Biden did it, investigate, investigate them both. Right. It's not that hard. (laughs) Investigate both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. If they did anything wrong, either one of them prosecute them. And hey, let's investigate their kids business dealings, too. I got no problem going after Hunter Biden as vigorously as I have no problem going after Jared Kushner 
Ivanka or Trump's two biological sons, Fredo and Shemp. It's it's fine. What are you afraid of? No one. I mean, nothing. Democrats aren't afraid of this. It's not a cult. Investigate them all you want. But let's just keep a few things in mind here. Biden gave the documents to the FBI. Trump refused to return boxes of classified documents that he literally stole from the White House. And Trump hid them and he lied to authorities and he ignored subpoenas. Okay, so CNN, I understand you think it's a really important case. I'm still wondering how exclusive are the documents the vice president gets to have? I mean, how racy was this? (laughs) Obama's vice president brought some documents home. Okay, check it out. Was it a mistake or was it untoward in some way? I mean, (laughs) Trump refused to turn over the classified documents for months and he refused to comply with his subpoena. That's why there was a search warrant to get them back. Joe Biden's lawyers self-reported the documents and immediately turned them over. That's it. These are the talking points we're going to have to get used to memorizing and repeating to our right-wing friends hundreds of times for the next couple of months. Because this story is not going away. Here's from the White House press room today. All the reporters cared about. All the reporters cared about was the docudrama. Here's Karine Jean-Pierre reiterating the White House was not aware of a special counsel. I can tell you that we were not giving a heads up. I was asked that question yesterday. We did not know that that was the announcement was going to come yesterday until after it happened. So I can clear the deck there and let you know. Anything else specific to uh, when the president knew or anything that's related to this, I would refer you to the White House Counsel's Office. I know many of you that I'm looking at right now has been in close touch with my colleague there. Uh, and uh, and so I would uh, continue to refer you to, uh, to my colleague at the White House Counsel's Office. Now, again... Yeah, it looks bad that the Biden team didn't make things public ahead of the leak, right? They're trying to do the right thing. It seems like a tough situation. But again, Biden didn't hold on to them. He turned them over voluntarily. Uh, There was no request for them. There was no indication the archives knew they were missing. His own people found them and turned them in. It's not quite the same as stealing and lying and blowing off subpoenas, I don't think. Uh, Trump even came up with a plan to barter with the FBI with the archives, rather, to get material that he thought would prove his theory that the investigation into the Russia connections was some deep state conspiracy. His team talked them out of it, of course. And and again, you can't forget Donald Trump tried so hard to avoid complying with a subpoena. He gave a little bit of the classified material, but then he held some back still. He had made his team file an attestation with the DOJ that they had returned it all. And it wasn't true. And that's why the DOJ had to obtain what? A lawful search warrant. Please remember that because your right wing friends are still throwing around the word raid. Okay. Uh, Oh, the raid. When are they going to raid Joe Biden's house? How many times you've heard? When are they going to raid the White House? Raid raid Joe Biden's house in Delaware. Here's the deal. Uh, The raid on Mar-a-Lago happened because Trump refused to return the documents. After many requests, after a grand jury subpoena, Trump wouldn't do it. He wagged his tiny junk at justice. Joe Biden told the archives right away. Ah, gosh darn it, fellas. You know what? Turns out, turns out my people might have taken it. He doesn't even know what was there. They were returned. There's no need for a warrant. <laughs> there's no need for a search. And there's no need for a raid because there was no raid. Okay? Can we just get this out there? This is the one talking point. I'm not going to get sick of screaming. There was no raid at Mar-a-Lago. There was a lawful search because a warrant was executed. And the search happened because Donald Trump lied while defying a subpoena. That's really all you need to know about this whole nasty episode when they try to get you uh playing both sidesism in the mainstream media just let them know there was no raid you're thinking 
of Brianna Taylor. Say hello to Harry in Texas. Good evening and welcome. Hey, John. How's it going? Good, sir. How are you? Oh, moderately neato. (laughs) (laughs) Moderately Uh, neato is not too bad these days. Yes, okay. Um, I have two things to ask about. Uh, The house crazies, you know, the gang of 20 that gave Kevin McCartney such a hard time last week? Love him, yeah. Aren't most of them on the insurrection list? Yes. Can't we use that as a way to get rid of them before the dead ceiling gets held hostage? In a sane society, we would. Yeah. In a sane society, we would totally use it against them and say that they've engaged in insurrection against the government. They tried. But 11 of the 17 committee heads are going to be people who voted to throw out the will of the voters. I mean, it's the whole party. The whole Kevin McCarthy's a seditionist. They voted to throw out the will of the American voters late at night. I'm telling you, what happened after hours on January 6th, I think, was even worse than what we saw on TV. Well, that leads me into my second question. Uh, I realize it's starting to cross the line into conspiracy theory, but after the events of January 6th, I'm not putting it past the the damn wing nuts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it possible that McCarthy gave so many concessions to the wing nuts because he knows that being House Speaker puts him third in line? You know, the House Mm. Supreme trumped up charges, you know, puns would have intended to, you know, against Biden, and, but that would take too long. And it yeah, it would never work. And he's got a Democratic Senate, so he's never going to get Biden. Yeah, it, I mean, you think two thirds of the Senate will vote? Two thirds of the Senate wouldn't vote to remove Genghis Khan from office. I, I can see why he could fantasize about that, but I don't see it happening. But what you know, what you know, what makes me you know go further than that is okay. The January six terrorists they built a scaffold and went looking for Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. Yes, sir. Who says there's not a pl- like a bad Tom Clancy plot to remove Biden and Harris? which puts McCarthy in the White House. I mean, that could happen, sure. Uh, I don't think it I, would. I, I mean, like, I realize that's that's conspiracy theory nonsense, but it's, you know, it is, as crazy as all this stuff has been lately, it just makes me wonder, okay? Are they, I, listen, I, I get it. That. <laughs> I get it. I just, I just think you have to remember, uh, this is Kevin McCarthy we're talking about. I, I don't think he can plan that far in advance. I, I don't that's think he's the, that. That's the only thing a, that makes me not really totally freak about it. <laughs> you know, like when everyone was saying, oh, you know, like the, the Bush was behind 9-11. And my comment was, if Bush was behind 9-11, the planes would have missed. And that's how I feel about Kevin McCarthy. I just I don't think he listen. I think that he's going to be well paid to make Joe Biden's life hell and to slow down any progress for two years. That's going to be it. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to. Everything they ran on, they're not going to do anything about inflation. They're not going to do anything but slow down anything happening in the House. There'll be no laws passed and they're going to just go on Fox News and, you know, perform. That's going to be it. There'll be no governance. It's going to be two years of just gossip. Well, was it? One, one certainly hopes so. I just, you know, but the thing is, that every time I, you know, every time I hear them, you know, talk about, you know, whatever crazy law they want to pass, you know, and uh, was it somebody says something about, you know, all the concessions that McCarthy had to make, that just comes to mind. I don't. All right, yeah. sir, thank you very much. I hear you, man. Thank you so much, Harry. Have a great weekend. Eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. Let's say hello to Sean in California. Good evening, Sean. Hey. Oh, good evening, brother. You know, we're swimming out here in Northern California, but we're all right. Um, You know, my thing here is, uh, you know, first of all, we all should know who Merrick Garland is. We don't need to demonize him, okay? But he's tighter than a bull's ass in fly time. What does that mean? Well, that's a Texas saying. Let me say it again. I know the saying. I know the saying. What does it mean about Merrick Garland? It means that this dude is so wrapped up into so many different, you know, we've got to do this 
regarding institutions. We've got to do that. I'm really a Republican. Does anyone not know that? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. You can't prosecute a president. I don't want my name on that. Wasn't Garland. That wasn't Garland. That was the last. That was the last administration at that point. But go on. But but, you know, so, yeah, I know everyone doesn't like when you when you get on Garland's butt. But my thing is, I'm very part. Well, I'm very patient. But my thing here is this. And I'll just say this the way I look. We can all do conspiracy. Nobody knows what's going on here. I mean, everyone, Dean, everyone's saying, you know, it's a wash. Right. Uh, Donald bin Laden had documents at his place. Uh, Biden has documents at his place. So we're not going to prosecute Donald bin Laden. Okay, it's not really a wash. It's not an equivalency. But I get it. If I only get it, if this as a poker player, you have one out Garland, you have to prosecute him for the seditious conspiracy or, or the other crimes that he's committed. And then we can have a wash on these document things. But, you know, and that's sad because I don't believe that you should ever have a wash. I don't believe you should ever have a political, you know, reason to do things. But look, these politicians, including Garland and all these other ones, have proven that they are politicians at the bottom of their heart. And and I don't and, and, and Biden is, too. But I have to guarantee you that you can look at Biden's history. I mean, he's not doing you know, anything nefarious. And I know all the Republicans go, oh, yes, he is. You know, no, he isn't. Maybe his son is on drugs or something. Come on. Are you kidding me, people? This I is mean, where we are, John. Well, there, there's there's a couple ways of looking at it, okay? One way you can spin this, just hear me out. One way is, yeah, we, I, you know, my, my initial take was very cynical. Joe Biden gets a special prosecutor appointed to him right away. It took such a long time to appoint one for Donald Trump, but then Biden right away. And it's both for the same reason that Merrick Garland is obsessed with how people perceive him and all that. Um, Right. There's another way this could be going down. What if I'm not saying I believe this and I'll I'll tell you again and I say this all the time. I don't think Donald Trump will ever go to jail. He will never. He will. Guys, if you're if Nirvana is Trump in jail, it's not going to happen. He's already in jail. Enjoy it. It's miserable watching him now. Torture. Um, Oh, he's such a sad bastard. But what if what if the reason why they appointed a special counsel for Biden so quickly is hear me out. What if Merrick Garland knows that Trump's getting indicted soon? What if Merrick Garland knows an indictment against Trump is coming down? Yeah. And the safest thing he can do for his office and maybe even for the whole country is to have Biden under some investigation at the same time, even if it's a rote, mechanical, rope-a-dope investigation that's going to lead to nothing and Garland knows it. But what if Garland is doing this to blunt the impact of the outraged MAGAs when Trump gets a real indictment? I'm down with this, John. This is the only out I see in the poker hand of Texas Hold'em (laughs) all in. And, And, you know, I mean, when I say that, I just mean for the people that have been working their tails off to get uh, Democrats elected and all that. You know, it isn't we we don't want vengeance because we don't like Donald Trump or we hate Donald Trump. He is a criminal who's trying to destroy our country. And he he tried. And, he did and try. Yeah, way, but he's Lula done. in Brazil. Lula in Brazil has done more to, you know, 
smacked down the attempt of a coup than we have done in almost two years. And that's well, a damn shame. Mm, I, I don't know about well, that. Lula did, Lula did more in the first day than we did in the first week. But uh, there's been okay. 500 people. Have, <laughs> 500 people have, have been have had that's trials true. for this so far. So, I mean, they've been arrested at least. So they're, they're doing it. But, but listen, I understand We're, why it yeah. seems very, very cynical. Because the reason why this prosecutor was pointed so quickly was because Merrick Garland doesn't want to appear to have uh, a, a problem with bias You're in right. favor of Biden. Right. And that's the same reason why Merrick Garland waited so long to appoint a special prosecutor for Trump. He didn't want to appear to have bias. So again, right. it's early in the process and we're all tired of, of, you know, Hey man, I trusted Mueller. Like, who cares? Donald Trump's a loser. <laughs> who's never going to be president again. Liberals devote your energy to protecting voting rights and women's rights and et cetera from Ron DeSantis or whatever little mini me fascist they're going to put up next. Vote. That's my take. Bro. I'm with you, John. Well, Thank I you. think you're right on brother and I'm with you and I'll just say, keep fighting and don't let this, these media, you know, take over the narrative on this Joe Biden thing or anything religious, man. I'm putting it in your Word. court. To okay, take care of working on it. Thank you, man. Have a great one. We're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, more of your calls at 866-997-4748 and uh, an interview with a filmmaker for a kind of movie that I just, I, I will admit, I have never seen before. This new film uh, that is done by Raphael Sabarge is called Only in Theaters. And it's a really special movie that starts off being a film about the dying cinema industry and winds up being a movie about the fight for the American dream. Don't go away. We'll be right back. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. We're at 866-997-4748 right now. We all love watching movies. And if you really love movies, you probably love watching them in a cinema. And if you've ever lived in the L.A. area, you know the Lamley Theaters. It's this beloved 84-year-old art house cinema chain. It's really a name that's synonymous with cinema. Carl Lamley founded Universal, and in 1938, his nephews opened up their first theater. And over generations, they've opened several great ones, including the Sunset Five, which I love, in Santa Monica, the Lemley's Theater, which I lived near for many years. The Los Feliz Triplex is super cool. After 84 years, the Lemley Theaters are still family-owned and operated with a great mix of indie films and documentaries and foreign-language films. They show classics on the weekends. But as we all know, the past decades have not been kind to seeing films in cinemas, TVs, and then cable, and then VCRs, and now streaming 
have pushed movie theaters to the edge of bankruptcy. And that was before the pandemic. Well, Raphael Sabarge is an actor and a filmmaker. He's had a five-decade career in film, TV, video game voice acting. He's been in Risky Business and Vision Quest. He's been in Independence Day and Pearl Harbor, Once Upon a Time, Star Trek, Voyager, 24. And as a director and a producer, he's worked for PBS on numerous projects. He got an Emmy nomination for 2019's L.A. Foodways. But his new film is not like anything I've seen before. It's called Only in Theaters. And it tells... Well, the story of America and Hollywood through the journey of the Lemley family and their beloved art house theaters in L.A. And along the way, uh, we're joined by filmmakers like Alison Anders and Ava DuVernay and uh, even people like Bruce Joel Rubin and Leonard Maltin. It's a very intimate movie about what it is to see a movie in a cinema. And it's also a film about a family in a multi-general business whose sole mission has been to support the art of film and they don't know if they're going to be able to do it anymore. It's a real pleasure to welcome Raphael Sabarge to SiriusXM. Hello. John, it's so great to be here. Thank you for everything you say. You just, you you got it on such a deep level. So I I, I appreciate everything you, you framed there. <laughs> well, thank you. I got to say, I mean, after watching this movie, I want to make sure that everything's okay with Greg Lamley and his wife, Tish, because boy, what an emotional toll this process takes. You, you, you start the film where they're just trying to keep this thing going. And it's, it's an institution in LA. We see all the celebrities and filmmakers talking about how much these theaters mean. You get a sense of the pressure on this family to keep this tradition going. And then we witness how hard it is, really, to run a theater in the age of streaming. I have to ask, sir, what was what was it that originally gave you the idea to try to make this film? And, and how did it begin? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, it was I, um, it wasn't what ended up is not what where I started. I mean, I, what what's remarkable is this family legacy story, right? They, there's been a Lemley in the movie business since there's been a been been a movie business. Carl Lemley, the original Lemley, um, basically founded Universal Pictures, did 800 movies, including Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and 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 yeah. you know, found people like an illustrator named Walt Disney and uh, Valentino, and on and on. He also then basically sponsored this other part of his family, these cousins, the two brothers who founded Lemley Theatres, and they were responsible for bringing foreign films to Los Angeles. And, and again, bringing people like Ingmar Bergman and Truffaut came for lunch and, and on and on. The legacy story is sort of staggering and was what drew me in. What happened then was a series of kind of like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And we continued to follow the ball, as it were. And, and it ended up, we shot this over two and a half years. I mean, not exclusively, but, you know, not every day, but it was right. um, over the span of, you know, this very, very tumultuous and, and uh, challenging period. Look, theaters are obviously, as you say, dealing with a lot of pressures. It's not just streaming. It's, it's a whole bunch of things. Um, but, but what, um, what ultimately this became about, and this is what you said so beautifully is just that it's a, it's a story about a family, right? It's a story about a multi-generational family trying to survive, trying to make it through what's going to happen with the next generation. How do you hold on to the legacy of your grandfather? And, and how do you, uh, how do you hold on to the American dream? I, I think that's beautifully put. Yeah, well, I mean, it starts off, I, you know, I began thinking, okay, it's going to be a film about cinemas. And then it becomes an incredibly personal film about one cinema. And then it becomes this incredibly universal film that anyone who's ever struggled to make ends meet in this economy can totally relate to. And and poor Greg Lemley. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fascinated what the process was like filming, because I'm sure when you began the process of documenting him and his family and following them around, 
you know, it, it was hard in the beginning. He had this unenviable task of trying to decide if he's going to sell the family business that his, he's devoted his whole life to, that he was born into. And the entire indie film community wants him to keep the family business. Meanwhile, he's losing money hand over fist. He's trying to stick it out as long as he can. He keeps hoping in the era of streaming that somehow cinemas will come back. I mean, did you expect this to be such a deeply personal film when you began shooting? I mean, look, you hope, obviously, for something that actually, you know, reaches over. I mean, you know, for people, for, you know, the general audience who's highbrow audience who's seen everything and, and come, yeah. come things like prove it. You know, you obviously have to really mean it. And you hope that obviously something conveys. Um, Greg really took the trip with me. I mean, he, he really opened up with me. And um, it's a testament to him. I think he really honored the film. He also, by the way, had no editorial control over this. The first time he saw it was in front of an audience at the Santa Barbara Film Festival when it premiered, which wow. is Again, astounding. He he didn't want to. He wanted me to have my vision, um, and he trusted that uh, to sort of uh, you know happen. I mean, I I um <laughs> I was astonished as we went though. The filmmakers that wanted to talk to us, Ava DuVernay, Cameron Crowe, Cameron Crowe's in this movie a lot. He never gives interviews. I'm told, like literally never. And he he had a very personal connection to the theater. Allison Anders, uh, James Ivory, um, who talked about That's how right. he Merchant, you know, his partner Merchant also because they ran Merchant Ivory. They, yeah. um, you know, they depended on the Lemley theaters to show their movies. Um, and and you know, Kenneth Turan, Leonard Bolton, so many people. Um, Really, I mean, it's interesting, you know, when you we talk about this in the movie, you know, if you go, if you call Wells Fargo, you don't get to Mr. Fargo, right? You you know, it, when you call Greg Lemley, when you call the Lemley theaters, you get right to Greg. You get a Lemley. You get a Lemley on the phone. And it's that's what happened to me. That's why I had at some point put myself as a small part of the sort of the as a as an element of this to try and tell the story because I'm representative of a whole lot of filmmakers. I had a friend the other day who said that he got Oscar nominated because they had qualified his movie, his short. Um and um and 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 so many people have talked about how they made his career. That's what happened with Ava, which is apparently she had made her first film. She'd won Sundance. She wanted to get a screening. She called Greg, got Greg on the phone. He gave her some screenings. Then you know she called New York and said, well I got LA and then basically boom she started to have some momentum and that's where her career started and that's why she also talked to me i mean i that so many you know it's so difficult as an independent filmmaker um to 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 do anything <laughs> to, to have anything open and and to have a theater owner actually be kind to do something <laughs> you. you know like yeah i want this to happen for you you know it, it's everything it's everything because you you know that's the last five yards that make all the difference I thought it was interesting in watching the film how the Lemley family kind of went through this like 70 years ago during the rise of the TV set when when people realized, oh, we can stay home and be entertained. And there was a very real concern that that could spell the end of cinemas back in the 50s. Right. So there's this historical kind of echo that we discovered, which was, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, it was a giant business. People went out to the movies three and four times a week. Right. This was before television. One when television hit very similar to the way the Internet hit, you know, with us, it just mushroomed and blew up and and people stopped and they had seven theaters and went down to one. Um, 
there is this, you know, echo. And and the hope, of course, is that what would happen is that there will be a return to cinema on the other side of this, that there will be an opportunity for people to remember that going to the movies is cool, that it is an important thing. Sitting in a place where you're not interrupted, where you don't have things pinging and whirring and buzzing at you, yes. where you get to actually have a mental vacation, where you get to walk into a theater with a screen that's 40 foot you know, 40 foot wide, basically, so yeah. that you can get lost in it, um, in the scale of it. And then you can walk out in the street and be like, wow, it's like I went away for the weekend. There's that there's that opportunity where it, we get rewired in movie theaters yes. and they're kind of spiritual experiences. Well, I had a spiritual experience watching this film because it's so great to see your experts talking about the moral obscenity of watching Lawrence Arabia on an iPhone or watching Blade Runner <laughs> on an iPad. I mean, these are real issues that people who care about films care about. And look, I, you know, you want to watch a cartoon or a sitcom on a phone on the subway, fine. But I mean, for people who appreciate the art, this is, I mean, the, you know, I know people who take this debate very, very seriously. And I was really glad that you included it in the film because I do think it cheapens the experience of seeing a movie if you're watching it on a handheld device with 45 distractions around you. 100%. There's no 100%. way to read a book either. I mean, look, this is an art form. It's a it's a remarkable art form that's been around for 125 years. Right. I mean, it is still a relatively new art form, but it is it, it's it's premised on this idea of coming in, gathering in the dark with strangers, you know, leaving his friends because you have this shared experience. But but it is it is this it is an experience that you have. And that's where it flourishes. The filmmakers, I mean, everyone from Tarantino to, you know, uh, Scorsese, to, I mean, on and on are all bemoaning. The fact is that we're losing theaters um, in New York because I live in New York. You know, there used to be the Thalia. There used to be the A Street. There used right. to be the I remember the Thalia. I remember the A Street. Yeah. The New Yorker. There are all these amazing theaters, and there. And then the other day, I don't know if you heard Sinopolis on the on the airport, on the in Chelsea, gone. Um, did, yeah. Happened very quickly, and and when they're gone, well, generally they turn into condos. Like we need more yeah. condos, and 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 what we lose is kind of a. It's so important for filmmakers. Let me talk about this as well. Like I have friends who've got like, hey, I I, I got my movie on Netflix. Fantastic. You're on Netflix. That's amazing. Good luck finding it unless you actually know that it's there. Because if you as a Netflix sort of um, participant, if you're not watching the kind of movie that your friend made, the algorithm won't serve it to you. Exactly you literally right. won't. It, it, it's a it's a this is where technology starts to control the creative process and where, you know, new voices and independent filmmakers who then become major. Maybe, you know, we know that indie filmmakers then start directing big movies, um, but that has to bubble up somewhere. And, and, and it happens in theaters like the Lemley. If you don't know the Lemley, if Lemley isn't in your town and if, it, if you go like, why should I care about Lemley? There is an art house theater in your city. There is in Chicago and, you know, New York and Atlanta and, and all these other cities where the movie is now playing who, mm -hmm. who write say, wow, um, I, you know, I don't know Lemley, but this movie speaks to me because I have an art house that ma matters to me or I have a theater that matters to me. That's right. And, I, and we're fighting to try and save it. When I was living in L.A., the only theater that showed Tommy Wiseau's The Room was a Lemley, and that's how you had to go. And it was the classiest place that would show the illest stuff because they were about the art. And, and right. so, I mean, you said before that, that you weren't really sure what this story was when you started filming it. And you're filming the struggle this man has, and he calls himself captain of a sinking ship. And all of this footage is captured before the pandemic hits. What did having to close the cinemas do 
to the Lemleys. How hard, how traumatic was it for them? You know, look, we we all went through this terrible time. Um, you know, I many, 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 many businesses, many restaurants, as we know, didn't survive. There are there are um, maybe you've heard of the term uh, food deserts. You know, where there's yes, no supermarket. Yeah, there's a term that I discovered uh, an exhibition expert that I interviewed. I didn't put it in the film, but he talked about movie theater deserts. That's where the one theater in the one town basically closes forever. Yeah. And then the yeah. people in that town, they've got to make a decision. Well, where do they go? Do they go 30 miles, you know, or, or do they right. end up driving? So it's diminishing returns, right? Um, you know, what What Greg, in his specific case, what happened was he owned the dirt. He, he owned the land. And so he was able to sell some of the actual locations to be able to underpin the business. That's at a terrible cost. He come back, he comes back weakened, but he's he's still he's still holding on. Um, there there are opportunities uh, where people are coming back. If there's, you know, there are this time of year with the Oscars, there's more and more people coming to theaters because they want to see them in theaters. Um, right. There's another issue of, of pipeline issues because a lot of movies are being made and not doing the kind of the theatrical route. They're going right to streaming mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the day and day thing like you know open a big movie um and and we you know by the way it's playing on whatever and hbo max whatever and and then you know they leave money on the i mean uh, hundreds of millions of dollars gets left behind look we read these headlines right we see like you know theater owners and this and that the other thing about this perhaps is an opportunity to see past the headlines to see an actual family struggle with the complexities of what it's like to maintain a family business. We, we make this yeah. illusion of talking about the last bookstore, the last family farm. That's right. Why does that matter? Well, you know, the farmer that's the fourth generation farmer, when he takes the carrots out of the ground and knocks the dirt off, you know, there's a, there's, there's a feeling of ancestry in that it, it, you can feel the love and the food. And, and I guess that's what I feel about the Lemleys. There's a, they care. They truly care. Yeah. There's a sensation. They truly care about film and filmmakers, and they've nourished this audience. And and you know, there's that great line from uh, uh, Death of a Salesman. You know, attention must be paid, right? Paid. So yeah. the thought is um, is to pay attention to this family because in a in a corporate structured world, um, this is the antithesis to that. This is hmm. this is a, this is family. This is a business. Well. It's true. And I just want to point out that's where your film goes from being about a movie theater chain and a family trying to keep their movie theater chain afloat to being a film about the American struggle, the the, the struggle to keep upward mobility going, the struggle for the American dream to still exist. This movie is an appreciation of anything that's local and special that that we take for granted, like you know your local coffee shops, your local the regional theater or community theater or bookstores or comic book stores or record stores that still exist if you can find one. Yeah, they're still there, and they all all those stores that are still there, those independent places in your town are there because of the hard work and sweat of the people who just pour their life's work and energy into keeping a small independent business open in this economy. And in that sense, I think you've made a very universal film. It's so right. I mean, I you know, we've lost so much to convenience, right? I mean, we've learned to be able to click something and, you know, someone will bring the pen to you that you could have actually gone to the corner and bought from this bought from the store and and, um, and supported that that store. Um, we've you know, everything is at our fingertips. Uh, but what are we the fabric, the texture, the, the complexity of, of the world that we live in is getting flatter. And, and this is perhaps another reminder of how important it is to be able to kind of I mean, 
<laughs> you know, take, you know, we're voting with our feet. We're putting our, yeah. by putting our butts in the seats, you're actually sort of making a huge difference. And that's the message of the movie. Go out there and go see films in independent theaters. Go support them. Avatar movies can't save the industry alone. We got to get people out there. Uh, here's the last part, the most awkward part. Um, only in theaters, Raphael Sabarge is currently only in theaters. Is it going to be awkward for you when only in theaters is available for pay-per-view at home? <laughs> no, no. I mean, look, I, I just I couldn't release a movie called Only in Theaters, Only on Streaming. Right. So it was <laughs> it was, uh, it was a very strategic choice. Um, we are we we just opened it. We opened in L.A. We did extremely well. We got wonderful reviews. We're opening in New York next week um, or this yes. coming week today at the IFC and the new Plaza Cinemas. We are um, uh, playing all around the country. If you go to only in theaters dot com, it has a list of right times and places of where we Congratulations are. Congratulations on the excellent reviews, too. We have to yeah. run. But I thank you so much again. The film is called Only in Theaters. Raphael Sabarj, what a pleasure. We'll be right back on SiriusXM. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fugel saying this is Progress After Dark. Let me go to Brian in Oregon. We're trying to get to everybody tonight. Brian, hi. John, Thanks for your doing? patience. I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Beachside Bill is amazing. Yes, he is. Quite a man. And I had well, I was in the hospital in 2017 and had a transfusion or two. <laughs> and I was always wondering why I kept wanting to get stopped at the, the dispensaries, but now I know. <laughs> What's on your mind tonight? <laughs> but on, on Merrick Garland, I think, I think you're probably right about his you know putting putting the uh what's that guy's name hearn on the biden's case yes um so so it opens up and takes pressure off of uh jack smith there's a, there i mean there's a lot of reasons why why it's smart to do it and number one is it's the right thing i mean it's going to take a lot of heat off of them but investigate them in, investigate all presidents i mean seriously yeah, yeah. like it should be really really hard to be president and get away with untoward shit i i I, again, I don't know what he could have stolen as vice president from the White House that would be all that sensitive. But, hey, check into it. It seems like he did something on accident, but let's find out. We deserve to know. Yep. And I'm also with Sheila last night. I think she was implying, you know, the, who, uh, and my partner keeps saying, well, who's overseeing all these records and, the, you know, these top secret crap in the White House that lets them leave? That doesn't know is keeping track. But in the case of in the case of Vice President Biden, no one knew that he had the documents. Like they weren't even missed. Yeah, that's why I thought the archives hadn't even missed them. Correct. Correct. No one knew. 
it's unbelievable. What a it's just so bizarre. It's but, for, but it's, uh, but it's um, like look, but it's like it's like we say, I, like you know, Biden did the Biden did the wrong thing, but it was a mistake, yeah. and he gave him back. He didn't I go on Twitter wait. and start calling it a witch hunt. Sorry, Chris. Yeah. I can't wait till we find out that these classified documents are all hand drawn maps of the best ice cream places in Northern Virginia. <laughs> and now that would be a, that. Now that is top secret. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I'm, I've classified it myself, Matt. Yeah. Come on, and, I've, and I sampled every every flavor." Well, the, but this is the one thing I want to know, right? Like, I'll I'll be all for go ahead, investigate Biden and investigate Trump. But when it's over, when the investigations are concluded, regardless of what 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 happens, I'd like the American people to know what were the types of documents Biden had and what did Trump have? A top exactly. secret schematic to like a really cool Corvette. I was going to say Biden's schematic <laughs> yeah. is, is it's well, actually yeah. the what plans to all the it's the plans <laughs> to the shopping malls he opened ceremonially <laughs> as a vice president. Red? <laughs> um, yeah, it's got, answer, look, it's got it's got a flame flames going down the side of it. Jack, come on. <laughs> uh, oh God, the um, yeah, the whole thing is uh, so just these people are the Republicans are so absurd. A little bit of a non sequitur is um, Jim, jo- Jim Jordan's subcommittee. You know the. Yeah. Insurrection protection guys. I uh, <laughs> called up their office and urged them uh, to first start with Bill Barr's uh, Justice Department if they want to look at uh, weaponizing the Justice Department and go forward right. from there. Oh, listen to this. Let me play a clip. This is Jim Jordan today. This is Jim Jordan hooting and hollering about the oh, committee God. he has now formed to make sure the Biden story stays in the news. Wait, and it will. Right. Give a listen. This is the big concern I hear from so many constituents is this double standard and the fact that there's no longer equal treatment under the law. And just in this area alone, we know what happened with, with Secretary Clinton when she had classified documents. We know how they've treated President Trump. And now we see this with 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 uh, President Biden. So, th- again, that is what so frustrates the American people. It's right. why we formed this committee to look at the double standard and the unequal application of the law on American citizens. We want to get to the bottom of this and, and make sure it stops as we go forward. Uh, okay, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lies in that. I think so. I that think was, all that was thirty seconds, and I got eight lies in thirty seconds. What's that? He's not hearing from anybody. No, he's constituents calling up from telling him what you know. This just all lies, like Trump. Um, and just a footnote before I go, John. Yes. Um, on the, what's going on in Iran? Yes. Complete non sequitur. But um, all of a sudden no, I realized the other day, and it started. I really started. The Islamic world was so went apeshit with the uh, Charlie Hebdo cartoon of Muhammad. That's right. I don't know if you remember, they were just I sure do rioting and crazy, <clears throat> and sent out hit squads to shoot them all up. But yes, then they sit quietly on their hands when <laughs> the Iranian government is killing their people. It just yeah. uh, it's just I don't understand. I guess oh, I, oh, I mean, I'm I sorry. You're, you're saying. You're, you're saying that you don't understand how religious conservatives could be hypocrites? Uh, well, I do. And you're I saying don't. you don't I mean, understand how, how religious conservatives can cling to uh-huh. arcane dogma that makes no sense, but ignore the suffering of real people right here, right now? You're, 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 are you saying that about uh-huh. religious conservatives in Iran? Really? That can't happen <laughs> well, here with not, ours. No, not those. I'm thinking about Pakistani Muslims and uh, uh, where else were they rioting? There were other... Uh, countries yeah yeah but they, they were they very angry being shot i was realizing for uh supporting the iranian people 
Yeah, exactly. And again, man, you look at over here, you look at how the right wing over here suckers these hardworking white Christian people into voting against everything Jesus talked about. Well, that's the equivalent over there. These people who are just blanketed with fundamentalist religious dogma all day long, they'll go to the mattresses over cartoons of the prophet yeah, just rather than rather than realize how they've been screwed their entire lifetimes by the Saudi royal family and how the Saudi royal family treats Muslims in the Middle East worse and exploits their suffering and leaves them to suffer further worse than any foreign adversary ever could. They're not going to wake yeah. up to it. They're not going to wake up to it any no, more than American Christians are going to wake up to how these these prosperity gospel preachers are all scammers. It's just they're, yeah. it's flock fleecing. Well, they don't want to look in the mirror and say, I've been screwed. No one does. And yeah, no one wants to look in the mirror that. and say, no, no, but no one wants to look in the mirror and say, I was wrong. No one wants no. to do that. I do that every day. Well, but good for that, you. You're more evolved. But I've never, but I've never done anything. <laughs> You've done wrong, the. So. <laughs> well, you're a humble person. Oh, well, you and Trump. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, the whole thing is terrible. Anyways, I'll let you go on to other calls and uh, have a dynamite weekend. Hey, man, thank you so much. Have a great evening. Appreciate All it, right, Brian. Bye. We are at eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. We're going to get to everybody tonight. Let me get one more call before we hit our next break. May I do that, Stephen in Kentucky? Thank you so much for your patience. Hello, dear. How are you this evening? I'm very good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I was calling tonight, you know, to point out something. You know, this year, this month, believe it or not, on Eartha Kitt's birthday, which is actually January the 18th, if memory serves correct, on that day, it will be 55 years since another world, and another world, of course, has been off for quite a while now, but they did a storyline about LSD back then. Really? And uh, yeah, actually, they did in 1967. Oh my! Uh, Agnes Nixon, who created <laughs> All My Children and One Life to Live, a lot of those soaps, and she wrote for Guiding Light and Other World as the World Turns, what have you. Okay. She actually did a storyline. She wanted to do a storyline about the summer of love and flower power. Right. And she did so. She created this character who was just disillusioned with the shameless hypocrisy of the adult world. And they dealt with, you know, um, they ended up dealing with a lot of these contemporary problems at the time. But yeah, actually... Wait, was it, was it a pro-hallucinogenic episode or was it a fear-mongering episode? Well, what it was is uh, the actor was Lawrence Keith, who uh, uh, portrayed Lefty Burns was the character. He was a hoodlum, and okay. he was trying to get back at his adversary from prison, who was involved with this woman named Lee Randolph. And oh, Lee oh, was a teenager no. at the time, and uh -huh. Lee herself was living in this dump. And the fact <laughs> is, Lefty was her neighbor. And so, Chris, I hope you're writing this down because my pen is dry. I hope you're writing all of this down. Oh, go on, please. What what Lefty did was he decided to drop some drugs into her coffee. Not cool. It, it was it was LSD and really so not cool. Which she didn't know innocently switched the drinks and he was the one or she was the one who was was on the LSD trip and guess what happened? She took a fire poker when she was on the, the trip and she stabbed him to death. Oh. And that's how he that's how he the died. Guy, wait yeah. a minute, the guy the guy who dosed her, the character uh -huh. who dosed her, was the one who got killed. Yeah, he certainly LSD did. made her violent. Well, she she was on, and, and when Agnes did this story, believe it or not, 
they did some research, and I don't know if this, I don't know how much of this was accurate nowadays. I don't know if it would be as accurate. But back then, the article that she did uh, pointed out the possible dangerous side effects of LSD long term. Yeah. Okay. And the character ended up, um, you know, get, jilting the love of her life, who was involved with the character played by Ann Wedgworth. I don't know if you oh, remember Ann Wedgworth. I know Ann Wedgworth. I know who I, that is. Yes, I, yes. I love Ann Wedgworth. Her birthday is coming up this week, and that's I'm doing her tribute. So that's why I was pointing this stuff out. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, it was it was a fascinating uh, story. But they did it. They highly publicized this. Ann Wedgworth was on Three's Company, wasn't she? She was in the, and believe it or not, now that you've mentioned that, Audra Lindley, who play, also played on Another World, actually at the time that Ann Wedgworth did. Well, and okay. then the, Don Knotts, I think, had some sort of connection to Another World okay. because Connie Ford had worked with him. Connie well, get Ford me started on Don Knotts. So here, here, here's, here's what I want to say. Obviously, it's very, very terrible to ever uh, give someone LSD or any hallucinogen without them knowing. I mean, it's even if it's a soap opera character, the irony here, Stephen, is that LSD was the only way I was ever able to watch soap operas. Well, what's, Back in what's college, amazing, I couldn't though, do it unless I was tripping my face off. I couldn't sit through Another World. What's what's amazing, though, is how this was done in 1968, you know, even though the times were changing, obviously, right. and evolving. But Robin Strasser, who was hired around that time to play on Another World, you know, it was a controversial employment for her. I, what does this have to do with Eartha Kitt, by the way? You, Eartha Kitt was your entryway into this. Because Eartha Kitt, that happened on her birthday, the LSD storyline did. It happened on, <laughs> okay, so Eartha Kitt had nothing to do with the it LSD on, or Another World. Was, it was on January the 18th of 1968. It was the day that she went to visit Lady Bird at the White House, as a matter of fact. I like your <laughs> yeah. wiring, Stephen. So you just saw it was Eartha Kitt's uh, birthday, and in your brain, well, that course. associated with the <laughs> well, Another course. World LSD episode. <laughs> well, of course. That's how you do it. <laughs> you, you get them right there. Well, <laughs> congratulations. You brought us all there. We're all there with you now. Uh, I, 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 and there is always a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when you call, Stephen, and there you did not disappoint. Thank you. <laughs> Will Lisa oh, well, have Kitch's baby? But I, but Will I just Linda to... <laughs> take too much LSD and accidentally kill Hutch in a jealous rage? Find well, out when you tune in, turn on, and drop out to another <laughs> another world. Well, brought to you John, by Mapo. If, if you ever have a chance. If I ever what? If you ever have a chance, uh, I don't know if you were a fan of Audra Lindley's or not. I adored Audra on Three's Company and her uh, career as an actress. She, I loved her laugh on Three's Company. That's what was wonderful about Audra, I think. But she, when she was on Another World, they have some episodes of that on YouTube. And boy, I tell you what, she really, she was a witch on that show. I Wow. I, I had mean, no idea. Oh, yeah. She really, she was marvelous on that program. She, and they had her, she looked very preppy on the program. I loved her costumes that they had. Audra Lindley was, was Mrs. Roper, right? Is that who we're talking she, about? She, she played was, Mrs. Roper, she, right? She certainly she, did. Oh, but she, she was, was a great, she, great comedic actress. I remember Mrs. Roper. She was really good. She was married to James Whitmore. Remember the actor James Whitmore? No, in my mind, she'll always be married to Norman Fell, and he's always wearing a bathrobe. Give him Hell Harry is what uh, Whitmore was in. Remember that play that was made I, into a movie in the 70s? I've heard of it, but I have to say the Harry Truman play was a little before my time as well, unfortunately. That was in 75, I think, when that came out, oh. I believe. I might be wrong. Well, well, they, the Chicago I had just come out in 75. So. 
Pardon well, me? no, you came out in 69. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I wasn't really up on my off-Broadway theater in first grade, and I feel bad about oh. it, but I'm working on it. Well, see, honey, Steven. I was up on my, I was up on all this stuff. I was up on Dynasty by the time I was in first grade. So, you know, oh, Dynasty very nice. and Dallas. Oh, yeah, I course. never, never, I never got into those shows. By the time I was 12, I was into theater. I was in a, I, like, I did my first Shakespeare play when I was 12. And after that, I wasn't really into TV. So. Oh, is that right? Well, yeah. I, well, you I was, know, an, I was those, a snob at an early age. Well, back in those days, I think we had more variety, you know, on television. A little know, bit more. A lot of variety now. A lot of, <laughs> there's 4,000 yeah. channels now. Well, but at the same time, it's all that reality wasteland garbage that's on there for the most part now. Mm, there's I mean, good I stuff. Listen, we, we're, we're in, we're in the golden age. Survivor 69. No, you know, nor do I. But we're in the golden age of television drama right now. The last 20 years, it just, I mean, serialized TV drama has never been as good as it is right now. And there's so much great stuff out there. The Wire and Breaking Bad are as good as anything the cinema or the theater have to offer. And I will fight anybody on that point. So, you know, there's plenty to explore. And you've inspired me to spend more time watching soap <laughs> operas. I got to run, Stephen. You're a gentleman, okay. but we got to take a quick one. Okay. Or the sponsors get mad. When we come back, more of your calls at 866-997-4748. Comedian Jenny Saldana is going to jump in. We'll get to all of your calls. Stay alive, no matter what occurs. I will find you. This is Progress. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fiegel saying welcome. Hey, uh, I just want to play this really, really quick. Here is uh, Karine Jean-Pierre earlier today. They were asking when the president will directly address the special counsel and this simmering scandal that is not really a scandal at all. The president has said he hopes to speak about this soon. When can people expect to hear from him? Uh, don't have, again, that's a, that is, that is something that I can't, I don't have a, a magic wand here. I don't know when that's going to happen. What I can say is uh, his team is going to fully cooperate with the Department of Justice. Uh, and let's not forget, the president said during the campaign that when it comes to the Department of Justice independence, he respects that. Uh, and that is something that he had said was incredibly important to make sure that they had their independence. 
independence. That's why we say we're going to make sure that uh, they have their independence. And that's why I'm saying that we're, we're going to refer to Department of Justice. I mean, I mean, the second half, she had it. The first half, it's like, I can't tell you when he's going to talk about it. That's not the answer you want to be giving right here. I don't think they're really afraid of anything, but we'll see. We're at 866-997-4748. Hey, you know what? When one of your favorite comedians in New York says, hey, I'm doing a show. Can I come on? You want to say, yeah, if it's Jenny Saldana. She's a great comic. She's a great writer, playwright. Uh, and she's actually been called the boob whisperer for women diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, what I love about Jenny is not that she's just a, a terrific, terrific comic and a very good actor as well, but she's someone who has lived through breast cancer and has survived it and consistently amazes me with her ability to make being a cancer survivor funny uh she has a show coming up this weekend at one of my favorite theaters the triad up on west 72nd street on sunday afternoon hey jenny saldana welcome back happy new year happy new year john it's so good to be here with you i'm sorry i can't smooch you in person but that'll come not as sorry as i am you know i i I love your story too (laughs) i love your story so much and every time you come i I learn more about your life um and i i you know you you were you were born in in dominican you came over here when you were six but is it true and i I know you got your theater degree from university of pittsburgh but is is it true that that your name is jenny and your sister's name is jennifer is that really yes true? oh my goodness i've never told you that story yes no i just found george this out Foreman. about you with a dominican george <laughs> what what how how oh, guess how better. how guess better is this okay. common in the dr i never heard no, of this before it's not common in the dr it's just <laughs> crazy stuff so basically this is the funny part is that it's it, okay so this is a good uh, a good a good uh exercise in like colonial colonialism so my mother's maiden oh, name. Oh, okay. Yeah, blame, blame white people, Jenny. Blame white people right Absolutely. away for your family I'm names. Name Go the ahead. White people right away, right away. <laughs> so my mother's my mother the name of my mother's birth certificate. She is Dominican as 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 Sammy Sosa. She cannot speak a lick of English. Her legal name is Jane Clark. <laughs> that is not that is the truth. Okay. Her legal name is Jane Clark. Now, because. And the reason she, her name was legal name was Jane Clark because my on my grand on my maternal grandpa on her father's side, <laughs> on her father's side they were a bunch of like ex slaves that left England, oh like descendants and that's why his name was William Clark. Right. So Clark. Okay. Well, now you're right. Yeah, Clark was right? uh, not their name. It was the name they were given. Yeah. So his. Well, I mean, he wasn't the, whatever. From back, 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 back. Right, so right, they right. came through like through like um. Turks and Caicos. So they came to Turks and Caicos okay. to the Dominican Republic, like my, like my mother's great great grandfather type of thing, right? So her name was Jane Clark, but you know, she's a kid. So over there, they would just call her Jenny. So all her life, they called her Jenny until she had to go get her cedula, which is like your legal ID. And her dad was like, Your name is Jane. Okay. <laughs> and she okay. was like, What? He's like, Yeah, your name is Jane. So then when she got married to my father, he was like, Everyone's always called her Jenny. Everybody's always called my mother Jenny. So when they right. called me, they called me Jenny Lynn, like little Jenny, Jenny Lynn, okay. like Jenny and Jenny Lynn. But then when they had... Je- when oh, they so you've like, already got... So, so hang on. You you already got yes. two Jennies in the house then. Yes. So it's already kind of fakakta. Go it's on. already crazy. I don't like where this is going. It gets worse. And then when they have my sister, my sister came six years later. You don't think they had time to come up with something? But Jane. They named her Jennifer. Yeah, they're going to name her Jane. 
They named her Jennifer. And no, now- hang on. Both both parents, both parents agreed to have mom Jenny and, and daughter sister. Jenny and then daughter Jennifer. Both both parents signed off on this. Yes. <laughs> or your mother wanted this and your father went no, along. Allegedly, the story goes. Allegedly, the story is that he loved her so much that he wanted two daughters and named them both after her. Okay, well that that's 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 very romantic in a kind of kind of a lovely way. So I can yeah. only imagine how awkward this was for you and your sister growing well, up. And you know what? Among our family, it, it was just normal. Like it was just like we're Jenny and Jennifer. Like you know, I, I have a joke about how people have other children because the first child is like that first hit of heroin. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And any other child is never going to give you that. Like you keep you wanting know, to like, have the same high. Yeah. Yeah. You you just can't. You know, That's you why I, I named my second child methadone for that exact yeah, exa- reason. Exactly. So you can yeah. really just connect. So exactly. I think that that's what other children are trying to chase that high. <laughs> and so I'm like, listen, you don't think that naming me Jenny and Jennifer and her Jennifer was some crackhead shit? Like, you don't think that was some weird shit? It, it seems like y'all turned out OK. And it seems like George Foreman's five sons named George all turned out OK. So I guess this is fine. Yeah, my sister, my sister is a Spanish teacher and she was Spanish. She was teacher of the year for Alabama and for the whole South. So that did not go over well in Alabama, just so you know. Like I had the same birthday as my grandfather and the same name as my dad. But I I just I still can't imagine with with the sibling. And my dad was John. So I had to be. So my dad was Jack and I was I was JJ. That's how we got around all that. But I mean, when when you were growing up, was it ever was it ever awkward for the two of you? Was there a well, certain point well, where is, you were 10 years old and realized? No, because I never answered to Jennifer. She never answers to Jenny, and we both answered oh, to Jen. Oh, well, that, that seems like <laughs> at least you found the system that works for you. That's great. Yeah, like no one ever calls Jennifer anything other than Jennifer. <laughs> like no one ever calls her Jen. Je- no. She's and like, and no, your mother? And, and, well, my, and my mother calls me by my middle name, though. My middle name is Lidice, so she calls me Lidice. So everybody, that's uh, how they differentiate. Okay. See, my Catholic parents, they all called us by uh, the first syllable of my brother's names accidentally, and then realized that's it was hysterical. so... We were John, Brian, and Paul, but it was, I was called Bra- pa- JJ, and, and Brian was JJ, pa- Brian, and so that's that's how they spat it out. We were very <laughs> apostolic. D- does, does your mother speak English now? Is she aware of, of how whack this was? Really? Barely. And you know what? I have a funny story that I've told you before, but I never told you this part about the story about a funny thing happened to me at Auschwitz with my mother. A funny so we thing were happened to me at Auschwitz. That's the best with title my mother. I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. I was with my mother at I know Auschwitz. This. Tell me and this. You, but th- I didn't t- I never told you this part. So we're at Auschwitz and we're in one of the barracks and they're telling us everything. And my mother, who's very prudish, I live in a tiny apartment and she'll be here just with me and she'll get into the bathroom and lock the door like she's. She's that person, you know? Right. And so so we're there. And she's just she's understanding as much as she can. And she calls me over. She like, calls me over. And then I said, what? She goes I, in Spanish. She goes, I know what you're going to say, but I need to know for me. And I was like, what? And she goes, I know what you're going to say. She goes, the men and the women were naked doing caca together in these places. And I was like, no, ma, they had male barracks and female barracks. And she goes, but they were naked. I'm like, yeah. She goes, I, I wouldn't have stayed. John, that was her response. Do you know how many comedians have spent decades trying to find a good Auschwitz joke and your mother just hands you one? (laughs) It's not easy to do, Jenny. Seriously. 
she goes, I am Wonder State. And then this is the way I make it a joke because I could just picture her going, my friend, eh, come, my friend, my friend, ven acá. Eh, we no stay. We Dominica. We no, we no, we no. You very nice. Pero we no. And my, my husband, he's playing because we no speaking. Carlos, Carlos, ven, dile que, que no vamos, dile, vamos. We, he, he's playing because we no, we no, we no stay. <laughs> Next time you're in the studio, you're bringing your mom with you. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my God. If I brought my mom in the studio, you would, she would take over and she would get so many calls. No, like, I would she, make your mom love me. I would, I would hit it off with your mom you know, so hard, man. Oh, she I'd would love you, and she would t- no, and she's yeah, she will, and she'll speak to you in Spanglish <laughs> and charades. Well, my English is only slightly better than my Spanish, so we'll have a good time. Yeah, so Jenny Saldana, what, tell me about the show you're doing this Sunday at the Triad oh, in New York yes, City. Yes, it's one yes, of my, yes. it's so, one of the most beautiful hip rooms uh, in all of Manhattan. Isn't it a beautiful room? And I've seen you there and celebrity um, autobiography. Oh, right. Yes, many um, times. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. So I'm doing my one woman show. It's called uh, Desperate Digital Dating Diary, a TT Talk. Mm-hmm. A TT Talk. And it's talk. all about, yeah, a TT Talk. It's set up like a TED Talk, but I'm not a TED. I'm a TT. I'm a, I'm a nice gotcha. aunt. So um, it's, set, it's set up like that. And it's about online dating. So anyone who's ever been single and swipe right or left can definitely relate it's a one time only because it's actually a taping so if you ever want to go to a taping of a show please come check us out at the triad theater on sunday you can go to uh triadtheater.com and uh it's on sunday at three o'clock and i know the giants are playing i know i got that call jenny Good. i come so to your show but good. the giants so here's a show for the rest of us who aren't going to watch the giants game and it's not just you you have other performers as well Absolutely. I have the amazing Sarah Contreras, who is one of the original Latina divas of comedy on Showtime. She is my feature. And then I have this lovely uh, roundtable of ladies called Wine and Wisdom 5. They're doing a little roundtable panel right before the show. And they're they're actually producing the show. And they brought a liquor sponsor in and we're giving out a free glass of wine with every ticket. So if anybody ever wants to come see a taping and John, if you're if you're in the neighborhood, (laughs) pop in if i can swing it i'd love to yeah if i can yeah, swing yeah. it i'd if love you can to come swing by. it please do it's it's so it's a it, again it's just um my horrible horrible dating stories come to life and that's what they are that's what it is and they're I have labor to imagine love. though i have to imagine that after writing so hilariously and movingly about breast cancer and all your body was put through <laughs> yeah there must be a breeze writing about horrible men in dating apps well, yes and no. I mean, I talk about how, I, like, I talk about my breast cancer in my dating, and um, I always, t- I always tell men that no question is inappropriate when it comes to breast cancer. And then they always ask me, "Does it still feel the same?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's always the answer." <laughs> yeah, feels wow. the same. Are you going to do the show? Are you going to do the show more than just this weekend? You, you're, you're well. The it up goal. And- the goal is to tape it and then pitch it to like whom like and pitch it right to on. send it to like just for laughs to, to, oh, to, I pitch know. It to, to a theater to anybody who needs to run like because it's it's an easy it's a one woman show it's a chair and a screen and it, it, i can That's take it, it anywhere oh it's great i can My take it anywhere kind. so i'm really excited yeah i'm very excited i'm so glad i'll try to come down on sunday if not you're yes, gonna tell me when please. you're doing it again because i love you and i love your work and oh. i love how you just find f- hilarity and pain jenny what is the best way for people to get tickets to your show I would go on the Triad Theater website. Triad, I think it's triadtheater.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can go tickets and it's on Sunday. I think that's it. Triadtheater.com. And really quick, before I let you go, how about yes. that Kevin McCarthy? Huh? How bad is it going to be? Kevin McCarthy beat Ted Cruz at being a punk-ass bitch. He is a bigger punk-ass bitch than Cruz, which is quite a feat. 
we're going to have to debate that. I'm not sure he's pulled it off yet, but come come on in the studio. We'll make it happen. It's so good to have you back on our show. The great Jenny Saldana. Thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Happy right. New Year. This is Progress.